Royal National Lifeboat Institution are perhaps one of the most well-known and well-respected charities in the UK. This is due in part to the fact that living on an island, we are constantly surrounded by the potential dangers of our coastal waters. I'm speaking today with Michael Baxendine, chairperson of the Kirkcaldy fundraising branch of the RNLI, to talk about what role the lifeboats have played in the lives of Britons over the last 200 years, and how people can get involved and support them in the vital service they provide. I'm Michael McLaren, and this is Down the Lane With. Hi Michael, thanks for coming along today. You're very welcome, lovely day. It's, it's a nice day. Can we begin by getting a bit of background as to the history of the RNLI? Yes, of course. The RNLI stands for the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, more commonly known as the Lifeboats. It was first founded in 1824 and uh, since, since it was founded we've saved over 140,000 lives the main objective of the RNLI is to save lives at sea. It's a charity. It's run entirely by charitable donations from, from the public. We get no government funding whatever. They cover the whole of the UK, which includes not only the mainland Britain, but also Republic of Ireland, Channel Islands, Isle of Man, and also some, some of the inland waterways. But as I say, the main objective is to save lives. So you're separate from the, the Coast Guard? We are indeed. If you are become aware of somebody in difficulty at sea, you phone 999, ask for the Coast Guard, and the Coast Guard will then launch or ask the lifeboats to launch from the nearest lifeboat station. The lifeboat stations, of course, the nearest ones to us are the ones at Kinghorn, Anstruther or Einster to the, to the locals. There's also one at uh, South Queensferry, St Abbs, Dunbar and North Berwick. So those are the ones that cover the fourth. The Coast Guard will coordinate the rescue. They will launch the lifeboats. They contact the nearest station or stations and the lifeboats will then be launched. The Coast Guards themselves don't have any vessels. They use whatever is available, whether it's ships at sea or whether it's the lifeboats. The Coast Guard will coordinate their activities. The Coast Guards can instruct shipping, nearby shipping, to carry out a rescue if, if necessary. They can, they can contact the vessel or any vessels or any aircraft to help with search and rescue. You're independent from the government, so you're funding, you're, you say you rely entirely on, is it entirely on donations? Absolutely, yes. We get nothing from the government. All the money comes from donations. Some of it comes from fundraising activities a lot of money comes, about 60% of our money becomes, comes from bequests and people's wills. Uh, but the rest, rest of it comes from the donations from the general public. Companies sometimes give us donations as well. So yes, we, as a fundraising committee, we run a, a number of events throughout the year. The Kogordi branch, which I chair, we usually raise about six, between six and seven thousand pounds a year through two main events during the, the year, which is one in the, the spring, which is a musical event and people pay to come along and buy tickets. We have a street collection in the middle of the summer and we have another what we call a fish supper evening in the autumn 
which is people buy tickets, they get a fish supper, and they get some form of entertainment, whether it's a musical entertainment or, in fact, it's usually musical or a choir of, of some description come along and provide their services and people donate money. We also have a number of other collections. We've just very recently had a collection at Aldi's in, in Kokori, and they offered us the opportunity, and we've collected over three weeks, one day each week, and we're just working out how much money we've made through that. We've got a, a Just Giving site, which uh, made contact with a number of friends. We went through my address book. I'm not sure whether they're still friends, but uh, a lot of them have donated to the Just Giving page. We also have collecting cans in a number of uh, shops and offices. So that's where most of our money comes from, is from, from collections. So how much of the coastline do the lifeboats actually cover? Well, we, we actually cover, there's, it's 19,000 miles of coastline and also some of the inland waterways as well. There's, we have a lifeboat on Loch Ness because it's such a large waterway. Can you tell me a bit about your youth education and water safety work? Yes, about 12% of our budget, overall budget, which is controlled by Pool and Dorset. All the money that we raise goes, even though it's credited to Kokori Branch, all the money goes to Pool and Dorset, which is the headquarters. And they then spend that money, most, most of it goes to supporting the lifeboats themselves, but a certain amount goes to education. And we run training for our crews, we run training for our lifeguards. Not only are we running lifeboats, but we have lifeguards on a lot of the beaches around the, around the UK and around Scotland. So there's education goes there. Recent summers, we've been running a water safety programme at the beaches where there are lifeguards and children and young adults can come along to those training sessions and learn about safety in the water. Do the lifeboat crews come from any kind of particular background, like maybe from a sailing background? They come from all backgrounds. There's nothing that says that you have to come from one background or another. We have men and women from all backgrounds. The one thing they have to be able to do is get to the lifeboat when it's called. When the alarm goes up, they have to be able to get there. So the crews are trained at pool, and then they are constantly under training in their own lifeboat stations. But no, they can come from any background, whatever. So last summer, the RNLI were saving an average of 10 lives every week. Are you predicting more incidents this summer with more people staying at home and holidaying in the UK? Well, we can't predict that, but certainly in 2020, we saved 349 lives. Between the beginning of June and the end of August, we saved 140 lives throughout the UK, which was about 32% higher than the previous year. And we've put that down to the easing of the travel regulations due to COVID. So we have got to be aware that that could very well happen again this, this year. What kind of difficulties do people get into with the water? In the early days, lifeboats were uh, really saving people who were uh, due to shipwrecks. And vessels, fishing vessels, coasters getting into difficulties around the UK coast. Nowadays, the vast majority of the, the rescue is due to recreational activities around our coasts. I can imagine it could be something simple like becoming stuck in the sand when it becomes quicksand. Well, that, that kind of thing can occur, and some notable cases of that off Morecambe Bay some years ago where people got stuck by the incoming tide. 
But yes, it's, it's as a result of tides coming in, people getting onto beaches, which are then flooded as the tide comes in, uh, people falling on the, on the coast, becoming injured. Anything that occurs in the sea, sometimes it can be people in fishing boats, sometimes it's people on paddle boards, kayaks, fishermen getting stuck on the rocks, all manner of problems that occur in the sea. Where, if anywhere, in the UK would you say are the most dangerous for people around water? Really anywhere. Anywhere on the coast or inland waterways. Probably the most likely places are the very popular recreational beaches. Also people climbing on rocks, rock climbing around our, our coasts. But it's the ones that are busiest due to holiday makers, people just visiting our beaches. There's still fishing boats get into difficulties. People in yachts, motorboats, uh, launches, this, this sort of thing get into difficulties. But an awful lot of it is from the beaches, people walking to areas that they're unfamiliar with. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Anything that you would like people to be aware of? Yeah, one thing I'd, I'd like to end up by saying is that we, we are a, a fundraising organisation here in Kokori. We have a very small committee. There are six of us, very dedicated and, and hard-working committee. But we have an awful lot of supporters, many who come and support our events, some who help us with collections. And all these people have to be thanked for what they do. But we are always on the lookout for other people, whether it's people who are prepared to come along and help us, support us in, in our endeavours, or people who are prepared to come and perform at our fundraising events, musical organisations, choirs. Many of them come and give their time. They tend to get a supper for their pains and occasionally get a, a small donation to their own organisation. So we thank people for their generosity in and around Kokori and are always on the lookout for volunteers who, who would like to come along and help us. Well, Michael, thank you very much for coming along today, and good luck with the future. Well, thank you very much indeed for having me, and uh, hope, hope we uh, uh, attract some more people to, to support us. If you would like to know more about the RNLI or get involved with their charity, you can find the link to their website and Facebook page on the Linton Lane site. Down the Lane With was presented by Michael McLaren. It was created by Marion McPherson and Michael McLaren and was a Jacket Pocket Media production for the Linton Lane Centre. <laughs>